0: Um, This morning, I'm going to preach on the subject of the image of God and ethnic unity, and because of that, I want us all to just stop and and take a moment and and pray, and and specifically pray um, for Israel and and what's happening overseas. So if you would, bow your head with me and, and let us pray together. Holy God, this morning, we come together as the body of believers, and we come before you and pray specifically for the war in Israel. Lord, we pray for peace. We pray for an end to this conflict. Lord, we pray for healing for those who are injured and and healing for those who are grieving for ones that they've lost. Lord, we lift up our, our brothers and sisters in Christ and we pray that they would look to you as their source of safety and security and peace. And Lord, we ask that their faith will shine brightly during this dark time. Lord, we ask that you would give wisdom and discernment uh, to the leaders and those making decisions to, to end and stop this violence. And we lift up families, those families who are making potentially life and death decisions. And finally, Lord, we we pray for the lost. We pray for those who have an incomplete view of your goodness and grace, that they would come to know Jesus as their Savior. Lord, you are sovereign over all situations, and so we lift up these requests to you and ask that you do your work. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you so much for that time this morning. Uh, If you've got a copy of God's Word, I invite you to open it to John chapter 4. If you're new to this, John is in the New Testament. Uh, Flip over a couple books, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and then you'll find John in chapter 4. And that's where we'll spend um, a majority of our time this morning. Now, I want to share a little bit about who I am and what I love. And one of the things that I love are movies based off of true stories. And I especially love it when they share a little biography of where the people are now at the end of the movie. So we get a little glimpse of, of what does life look like now. So a movie that Jamie and I love to watch each year at the beginning of September is a movie called titled Remember the Titans. Anybody seen that movie? All right. Remember the Titans. It's a good one. Love it. It gets us really fired up for the football season, right? We, we, we love it. So it, it fires us up. And I remember when Jamie said, we should watch this movie in the early 2000s when it came out, and, and I thought, great, this is going to be another football movie. It's going to be awesome, but it's so much more than a football movie. If you've never seen it, it's, it's really about the desegregation of a school in Virginia. Now, to show you how naive I was when we watched this movie, I remember talking with Jamie afterwards and saying, man... I can't believe that was still going on in 1971. You know, I must have been sleeping during my history class when we covered that era of of our nation's history. But three years later, Jamie and I found ourselves in the Mississippi Delta region of Arkansas. We were serving in a small rural church. And to my surprise, in 2003, segregation was alive and well. But obviously, this was not um, governed segregation, but it might as well have been. So, for nine months, I'd been leading a student ministry trying to help this handful of students open their eyes to the world around them. I was teaching them about missions and about reaching the nations with the gospel. Well, then it happened. Before I get to that, let me share a little bit about our town. Our town had about 3,000 people in it. Out of the 3,000 or so people, uh, the white population was about 400. The rest of the population were people of color. And so as you can imagine, the town that I lived in had two different sides. We had a black side of town and a white side of town. Well, when I said then it happened, let me tell you what happened. It was a Sunday morning. Just like today, the pastor was in the pulpit preaching. And he said, we have 250 people to reach in this town. What he meant by that is we have 250 white people to reach with the gospel in this town. Now, I couldn't believe what I had just heard. And I remember like it was yesterday because Jamie was pregnant uh, with our first child, Andrew. Andrew. And I remember sitting there after service, thinking, "I can't stay here. I can't stay under this type of leadership in the church." So that afternoon, I went into his office and I asked him. I said, "Pastor, um, did you did I hear you right?" And he said, "Yes, you did." And I said, "Did you believe what do you believe what you said?" And he goes, "Yes, I do." And so then I tried to make my argument and tell him why I thought that he was wrong. And and I tried to hand him some some ideas of ways that we could, you know, help straighten this out. But he didn't want to listen or consider really anything that I was saying. So Monday morning, I walked into his office, and I handed him my letter of resignation. And I just prayed, Lord, please provide something, right? Uh, Here I am resigning from my job with a pregnant wife. God provided that, later that afternoon, Monday, uh, we had two churches call and, and ask me to come and be their student pastor, which God totally take care of, took care of us. But here's the, this is just a little piece of the story of my life that happened 20 years ago. But that time truly shaped me and challenged me to, to open my eyes and to look at the world around us differently. To really try to open my eyes to see people around me and to see them as Jesus sees them, to see them through the lens of the gospel. And so this morning, um, we're going to look at a time in the life of Jesus, in the life of Christ, that challenges us to do just that, to see people as he sees them. He challenged his disciples in the same way as we read, and you'll see that. So let's walk through this, chapter 4 of the, the gospel of John, and let's ask the Lord truly to open Our eyes. So here we go, verse 1. Now when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize but only his disciples, what's happening here is Jesus is aware that the Pharisees are basically trying to cause division and problems between Jesus and John the Baptist. So he decides to leave. He decides to get out of town. In verse 3, we find out where he goes. So he left Judea. And he departed again for Galilee, verse four, pay attention. And he had to pass through Samaria. So Jesus and his disciples leave and they head north, right? So between Judea and Galilee is an area called Samaria. And we need to ask a question, why? Why did he have to pass through Samaria? And then also, why is this a big deal? Well, the common way for a Jewish person to travel from Judea to Galilee would be to head northwest to Jericho, cross the Jordan River, the River Jordan, and then not set foot on Samaritan soil. So why is this? Well, it's because the Jewish people despised the Samaritans. They did not want to be in the presence of the Samaritan people. See, the Samaritans were considered racial half-breeds to Jewish people, and that sounds awful, and it is awful. But they wanted nothing to do with them. But Jesus had to pass through Samaria. Why? Well, because he is the Savior of all humanity. Jesus had to confront this hatred and enmity between the Jews and the Samaritans by ministering to those people. So we come to verse five. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, And this is where Jacob's well was. We find that out. It was located there. We learn in verse eight that the disciples went to purchase food. And and while they were out, Jesus rested against Jacob's well. And we also find out in verse six that it was about noon. It was about the hottest part of the day or the sixth hour. In verse seven, we continue on. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. And Jesus said to her, give me a drink. So during the hottest part of the day, a Samaritan woman comes to draw water. Now, this is important um, because people generally don't uh, go to the well during the hottest part of the day. Th- those who would draw water during, during the day or during any of their, for any of their daily needs, they would generally come during the cool of the morning or in the evening. So what this says about the Samaritan woman is not only is she considered an outcast by the Jewish people, but she's also considered an outcast by her own people. And Jesus asks her for a drink of water. Now pay attention to the Samaritan woman's response. Verse 9, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a Samaritan, a, a woman of Samaria? And then notice that the author even adds and reminds the readers that for Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. So the Samaritan woman recognizes that Jesus broke two levels of prejudice. Not only was the person that he spoke to a Samaritan, but she was also a woman. And for a Jewish man to speak to a Samaritan woman, that was unheard of. So what we see here is that Jesus is neither a racist nor a sexist. But even more importantly than that, he knew that this simple request, simple request of water would lead to far more than an exchange of words. Continue with me in verse 10. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Why do, where do you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock? And then Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. So Jesus turns this simple request of asking for a drink of water into a spiritual conversation. Comparing the water in the well to spiritual water that he offers which is ultimately eternal life. Now the woman doesn't understand. She's still thinking physically, not spiritually. So Jesus continues. In verse 16, Jesus said to her, go call your husband and come here. And the woman answered him, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, you are right in saying, I have no husband for you have five husbands. And the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. And the woman said to him, sir, I perceive that you're a prophet. It's kind of funny, right? Kind of funny. I mean, even in us, when we read this, we're like, whoa, Jesus, hold off. You don't have to point out the sin so quickly, right? That's a little harsh, Jesus. No, but his response, right? And then her response is hilarious. But what Jesus is doing is showing her who he is and her need for the living water. See, she is a sinner who is in need of a savior. And Jesus is that savior. So let's continue. Verse 20. She says, Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. So the Samaritan woman's trying to, you know, shift directions here. She's trying to take the focus off of herself and and, and you know, put it on something else. And so she changes the topic, but she's also probably trying to make sense of everything that's happening, bringing up the differences in worship between Samaritans and Jews. Now pay attention what Jesus does because Jesus here unites the two groups. He brings them together. Verse 21, Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem, will you worship the father? You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know for salvation is from the Jews. Verse 23, this is where things are about ready to change. He says, but the hour is coming and and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the father in spirit and in truth. For the father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know the Messiah is coming, who is called the Christ, but when he comes, he will tell us all things. Now, get ready, verse 26. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. This is a mic drop moment, right? Jesus just dropped the mic on her. Jesus communicated here that that because of him, anyone, anyone can worship God. As long as they worship in spirit and in truth, and Jesus does something that is, is not is very rare in the gospels and he says that I am the Messiah I am the one that you are looking for He is the one that is going to come and redeem the whole world back to God let's continue verse 27. just then the disciples come back they marveled that's a Interesting word. They marveled that he was talking with a woman. But no one said, What do you seek? Or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar and she went away into town and said to the people, Come see a man who told me all that I have ever did, all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? So they went out of the town and were coming to him. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, were urging Jesus, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, has anyone brought him something to eat? Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Do, not, do you not say there are four months, then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Now, let's skip down to verse 39. Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. They believed because of this simple testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So, when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them. And he stayed there for two days. And many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, It is no longer because of what you said that we believe. For we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. The way this encounter with the Samaritan woman ends is truly amazing. So not only does salvation come to the Samaritan woman, but to many in the town. And Jesus does something even more radical. We're not just now going through Samaria. We're going to stay there for two days. That's amazing. Now, this morning, what we're going to do is we're going to look at the image of God in ethnic unity. And we're, and we're going to use the same three questions that we've used each Sunday. What did Jesus teach? What did Jesus do? And what did Jesus command? So first, what did Jesus teach? Now, before we dive into this, I want to define two words. The two words being ethnicity and race. So the Bible speaks more clearly to the idea of ethnicity than it does to the word race. Ethnicity really defines someone's culture, um, where they are from, the language that they speak, the group that they descended from. Uh, we see this throughout the Old Testament, uh, especially when Noah's family spreads all over the earth. Right? We have different nations are created with different cultures. Now, race defines people's physical characteristics, such as skin color, as hair type, as color of eyes and stature. Now, the problem with race in our culture today and the culture in which we live in today is that it sets up walls. This idea of race sets up barriers. It separates people from what they would say are the right kind of people and the wrong kinds of people. And this is a problem. This is a problem because what we see in Scripture is that there truly is only one race, and that's the human race. It's the human race because we all come from a common ancestor, right? Our ancestry is the same. We all come from Adam and Eve. We are all made in the image of God. And then what we've heard each Sunday is that Jesus sees people as just that. People made in the image of God. Man and woman, child and elderly, disabled, abled, rich, poor, Samaritan, Jew. We are all image bearers. Now what Jesus is doing here in chapter 4 is he's tearing down the walls that we put up that separate us. And he's showing the disciples and us today that we are people made in the image of God. Regardless of race, regardless of ethnicity, regardless of background or social class. But he's pointing out to us too that we all have one common problem. And that common problem is sin. And we are all in need of the same solution. And that same solution is Jesus. And his forgiveness. So what did Jesus teach? Jesus taught that the kingdom is open to everyone. Right? Verse 14. But whoever, whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. And there are so many other spots throughout scripture that point to this as well. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son so that whoever... So that whoever, the end of Matthew, when we receive the great commission, go and make disciples of one nation. It's not right, correct? Go make disciples of all nations. See, the kingdom of God is open to everyone. But we all have the same problem. We all fall short. We all sin and fall short of the glory of God. But the greatest thing is, and this is the good news, is that we can all call on the name of Jesus. No matter who you are, where you come from, what language you speak, what you look like, what you believe, or even what you have done in the past. So Jesus teaches us that the kingdom is open for everyone. So next, what did did Jesus do? Now, what makes... Uh, what we read in John chapter four significant is that Jesus truly did break down the walls that the Jews set up against the Samaritan people. And this is powerful and, and really it should cause us to look at any walls that maybe we have set up in our lives against other image bearers. So what did Jesus do? Jesus crossed ethnic boundaries. See, Jesus had to go to Samaria he intentionally went through Samaria. Samaria. He intentionally sought out this woman so that he could intentionally take the gospel to those people outside of Israel. And as we're learning in the Old Testament class that I teach on Sunday nights, this, this is nothing new for the disciples. They all knew the promise that was given to Abraham, that, that he would bless all the nations of the earth. See, what we're learning is that diversity was God's plan all along. To make a a people who are God's people from all nations. And the early church was a diverse group. They're a diverse group of people made up of Jews and Gentiles and all kinds of new Christians. Now, why is this important? And, And now hear me we're not trying to cave to some worldly agenda to be diverse is to simply live as Bible believing Christ followers. And we should all want that. We should all want diversity because that's what the Bible speaks to. So why diversity? Well, diversity in the church is God showing off his power He's doing something that the world cannot do. He's bringing cultures together, unifying us as one. So as God's people, we must follow Christ's example and be willing to cross ethnic and racial barriers and walls that we have set up. Barriers that we have never should have set up in the first place. See, we have all kinds of people living around us but we must be intentional about going to and befriending people who have different backgrounds than us, who might look differently than us. We must be intentional and willing to set aside our cultural preferences. And we must be intentional and ask to hear their stories. What's your life been about? in hopes that they allow us to then share our stories of the hope that we have. So God has taught us, Jesus has taught us that the kingdom is open to everyone. He's calling us to cross ethnic boundaries. And then finally, what does Jesus command? Look at with me at uh, chapter 4, verse 35. He says, Do you not say, There are yet four months, then comes the harvest? He says, look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. See, I imagine Jesus sitting against the well and his disciples all standing around him and they're looking down at him. And Jesus looking, you know, between their legs, seeing all the Samaritans coming towards him. And he tells his disciples, hey, take your focus off of me for one second and look up. Look up and see the people coming towards us. Now, this is more than just lift up your eyes and see the people coming. This is lift up your eyes and see all the people that are coming that are in need of Jesus, that are in need of me. Lift up your eyes and look at these people and actually see them. He's saying to them, yes, they're different than us. But there are image bearers like you that need me. See, and the command is the same for us today. Jesus commands us to open up our eyes. Now, I know that all of us in this room, if anybody of any race, ethnicity would come to us and ask for help, every single one of us would probably, would would say we would help them. At least I hope that's the case. I hope that to be true about us here at Blue Valley. So what I think the challenge for us today is this, though. Are we a people who desire to be shaped by God's word, willing to accept that our community is changing? And with that change, are we willing to see the people around us I mean, truly see them and hear their story? and then hopefully share our story of the hope that we have. See, church, I grew up right down the road here. Overland Park is way more diverse than it, than it was when I graduated high school 26 years ago. As I drove through this neighborhood right here behind Target uh, one Sunday afternoon about a month ago, what I saw were, were families, were people walking their dogs, Families walking together, parents pushing strollers, and everyone that I saw was of a different race than mine. And at that moment, I thought about today, I thought about right now in this message. I'm not colorblind, nor do I want to be, because God has created. All of us and all of our many shades and all of our differences and all of everything. He has given us all different stories and through it all, he will be glorified through all of our stories, through all of our differences. He is looking to be glorified. And one day it will happen. Cause look with me, revelation chapter seven, verses nine, nine and 10. This is the, the, the apostle John looking down into heaven And he writes this. He says, After this, I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. This group of people before the throne of God they don't all look the same. They don't even talk the same. They're all shouting this out in their own language. It's a beautiful scene. I got to experience it a week ago at at the Kansas-Nebraska convention or church forward convention. We got to sing Spanish and English at the exact same time and it was a really cool experience and it gave me goosebumps because I was like, this must be what it's like before the throne of God. It's very cool. But these are people from every nation, every tribe, every people, every language, all focused on one thing, and that is Jesus seated on his throne. Now, hopefully we can see a little bit through the lens of the gospel this morning, but what are some handles? What are some things that we can walk away with? It might sound easy, but it's really kind of difficult, unfortunately. I don't know why, because as Uh, Zach read this morning, we need to show the love of Christ. But that's that's just it. Let's love people as Christ loved people. I need to go through Samaria. We have to do this. That's loving people. Let's be willing to take time to love those people and hear their stories. Knowing that God has given everybody a story. And that story is used to draw people to Himself. Let's invite people into our lives so that they can see the image of God reflected in us. Let's invite people into our homes or go to their homes when invited, giving us an opportunity to share the hope that we have. So, finally, just to remind us where our message began. Church, we have more than 250 people to reach with the gospel. We have the nations. We have the nations around us. Are we willing to lay down our preferences? Are we willing to cross ethnic boundaries? Are we willing to ask Jesus to open up our eyes? Because if we are, If we are, I believe that what we will see in heaven one day can become true in the church today, if we're willing. If we're willing to open up our eyes, see people as Jesus sees them, cross ethnic boundaries, and welcome them in everything that we do. Let's pray.